The following podcast contains general advice only and does not take into account your individual circumstances. Listeners should speak to an accountant or financial advisor before making any investment decision. What is up? Happy weekend. Or maybe it's not the weekend when you're listening to this. That doesn't really matter. Welcome to the Market Pulse podcast. This is episode 19, the year that was edition. Thanks very much again for tuning in this week. Be sure to shoot me any questions you have for the show, but I'm going to dive straight into it this week and take a look at the markets in Australia and the US, of course. The ASX 200 had a pretty good week. It was up 2.6%. It didn't seem like we would sort of have that kind of gain this week. We kicked the week off sort of down 1.5% on Monday, but we kicked it back up and finished the week off strong. I think at the start of the week, investors were still a little bit concerned about, and not that they're not concerned anymore, but they were definitely concerned about those case spikes in Melbourne, but also feeling a little bit of heat from the American markets, which closed on the Friday the week before uh, with a with a down down sort of day on that Friday. And that was, of course, because you saw those growing coronavirus cases, those spikes in certain states, most notably, of course, Arizona, Florida, Texas, just a couple there that come to mind. But kind of seems like coronavirus is out of control across there. And But that is kind of yet to be met by like a similar spike in deaths. And I can't remember where it was I was listening to this week, but I was speaking to one epidemiologist who talked about the average age of uh, infected individuals has a lot lower at the moment with these newer spikes. And perhaps that has something to do with the fact that you're not seeing also a rise in deaths. Staying quickly in the US, we were right to speculate their allowance into the EU last episode as the EU did release their safe countries or their safe list of countries that they're going to allow travelers to visit from to the EU. And Australia is in that list, but the US... The US most notably is absent from that list. And on Friday or yesterday, as I'm recording this on the 4th of July, the 4th of July and Friday, the markets, the US markets are closed because that's a long weekend celebration for them. But don't let a short, shortened week fool you in terms of market performance for the week. It was actually an absolute cracker in the US. The S&P 500 was up 4%, the NASDAQ up 4.6%. All right, there's a bunch of news to talk about this week, and I'll start off with some of the topics that relate back to episode 18 uh, last weekend. And let's start again talking about some of the airlines, but we're not going to talk about Qantas. We're not going to talk about Virgin, but we're actually going to talk about Regional Express or Rex, R-E-X, as it is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Rex has actually announced a cap raising, which is kind of flavor of the year, these things, at least at the moment. And then uh, they're not really chasing further investment in their company for the same reason that many other airlines are right now. No, Rex is actually looking to buy an extra five to 10 planes and take on what is referred to in the ASX release from Monday as what's called the Golden Triangle, which is basically the Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane routes, which are very, very heavily dominated by mostly Qantas and of course also Virgin, although that's probably changed a little bit recently. The release to market from Rex also noted that due to their existing operations, they are prepared for this expansion and that it will simply be just an incremental extension to what they already do. And they sort of noted that pre-COVID-19, one in every 10 flights in Australia domestically were already Rex operated, which I did not know. There you go. 
shares in RECs are up about 15 to 16% from the news and investors obviously eager to see them take on you know, a bit of market share of that sort of golden triangle market I referred to, especially with the, the future of Virgin in terms of what that company looks like and you know how much flying they are doing. Still somewhat uncertain at the moment. Interesting enough, Rex is an airline that has had its share price actually recover to basically where it was at the start of the year. It's closed this week at $1.14 per share and it kicked off the year around $1.18. So only a very minor difference there. And why I bring that up, I mean, name an airline right now, share price and market performance wise, where this is also the case, right? Like so Qantas is trading at about $3.82 or closed the week at $3.82 per share. And it was, cl- it was closer to around $7.16, $7.20-ish when the year began. Air New Zealand closed this week at $1.34 and they kicked off 2020 at $2.83. Virgin, well, you know, Virgin's not really going anywhere. Well, Virgin's shares aren't trading at the moment. And I think if you're a shareholder, you probably resign yourself to the fact that you're getting nothing for those in the restructuring process that is. If you look over the US, the airlines are obviously very similar. So you've got Delta. They started the year close to about 60 US dollars a share. They're, they're now closer to about 27. American Airlines are at $12.50 per share, but they were closer to 30 at the start of the year. So basically all the airlines have been smashed. And, and I mean, granted, I'm not factoring in market cap and valuations here because you know some, some of these companies or many companies have been diluted through capital raisings. And it's important to factor that in, but just on face value in terms of share price performance, Rex might actually be the only one who's kind of back to square one right now. Moving on, we're going to talk about a New Zealand brand, which is Fisher & Paykel. I mentioned them at the close of last week and they're listed over in the New Zealand exchange, but also here on the ASX. And they had some great news for investors as predicted by many market pundits. The COVID-19 outbreak has been very, very good business for this company overall, similar to how other companies have found COVID-19, um, ResMed comes to mind because they offer similar products under their under their operating model. Fisher & Paykel grew their net profit after tax by 37% over the previous year and the, the big jump in revenue being a surge in demand for medical hardware, most notably their respirators, products similar to that that the hospitals needed. Of course, uh, anticipating huge COVID patients or influx of COVID patients, Shares were up about 5% for the week, so not a huge jump. I mean, it's decent, but a lot of this news has been somewhat priced in by the market. And if anything, it just sort of reaffirmed the guesses that investors already had. That what's probably better to mention is to look at their share price overall for 2020, and they are up 57% for 2020. So a very big year for them in terms of performance. Over the pond in the US, a big piece of news I noticed in markets or just an interesting piece of news I saw was that Tesla actually took over Toyota to become the most valuable car manufacturer and that's in terms of company value or market cap on the stock exchange in the world. And you might be thinking, how can that actually be? I see a lot more Toyota Hiluxes and Corollas driving around Australia than I do Tesla Model S's right now and you are right, they are practically uncomparable in terms of the amount of cars sold and the revenue that those two different companies bring in. But investors are betting very big on the future of electric cars across the world. And Tesla is one of those one of those companies at the forefront of this. As a comparison, I actually pulled 
I pulled these numbers from a BBC article on the topic as I kind of couldn't be bothered going through their quarterlies, but Toyota sold 10.46 million cars, so 10.5 million cars in the year to March this year, so across that 12-month period. And as an example, last year Tesla sold, so in 2019 alone, sold 367,000 cars. So 10.5 million cars sold versus 367,000 cars. So not comparable in terms of cars sold. Toyota also posted revenues closer to about $280 billion in that same period, whereas Tesla ended 2019 with revenues closer to $25 billion. And sales don't equal profit, right? So another important distinction to make here is that one of these car manufacturers is profitable, that being Toyota, and the other is yet to post an annual profit, which is Tesla. But that's not me throwing shade. I actually understand the mentality around why investors think the future is electric because, uh, I mean, this is a personal opinion, but I do agree and I'm not a Tesla investor although, but I understand why people may invest there instead of, say, a company like Ford. You know, apart from simply investing in the future of, say, electric cars, people also acknowledge the sort of level and sophistication of technology that a company like Tesla displays in the field of electric cars versus some of the more incumbent brands such as a Toyota or a Volkswagen, you know, you can name many there. And whilst those other firms like a Toyota have very big pockets, they are yet to actually catch Tesla on creating an electric car that can really rival them in terms of actual performance on the road and sort of longevity in their, in their battery and, and all those kind of things. And I think the other thing that people are really buying into also is the brand, which sounds kind of silly, but that does happen doesn't happen all the time, but people buy into the CEO and they buy into the brand. It's very unique and as in the brand Tesla is very unique. It has a very unique CEO and I know people who I've spoken to personally who hold Tesla shares and part of their reasoning is they're also sort of uh, investing in that themselves, so investing in the CEO or the brand itself and the sort of success that they think will come from that. Because of their share price tear, it looks like they're also about to enter the S&P 500 index. So if you're holding an ETF on the S&P, you're probably about to get a little bit of Tesla exposure. But let's take a look at, I guess, the title of this podcast and what ended for us this year was the close of another financial year, but not exactly the kind of year that we'll forget anytime soon, of course. Obviously, at at a sort of personal level for all of us, we've seen our Lives changed dramatically from sort of big things such as businesses and and schools closing down, borders being shut, but even down to the little things, at least for me being so aware of just how thoroughly I'm washing my hands right now versus before. But for Marcus, it was was truly a crazy year. It was one that investors certainly won't forget and one that has, you know, on one side burnt a hole in the pocket of some investors, but has also seen a bunch of new traders and new investors jump into the market for the first time and then suddenly you know triple their money on stocks like the buy now pay laters and across such a very short time period as well and it has been one hell of a ride if you look back to 2019 the asx began 2019 on a big run jumping quickly from some sort of lows that it ended 2018 on and sort of closing out 2019 very strong for that for the actual calendar year performance there But nobody really saw a pandemic coming and the market has certainly not recovered from where it was at the start of the financial year. In fact, at the start of my show, I always 
list certain indices. So I reference the ASX 200's performance and I reference two of the US indices, so the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. I mean, I could list others like the FTSE in London or the Hang Seng, but I kind of like to stick to those three, just focus on mostly Australia and some US stuff. But everywhere is down for the financial year just ended. You know, the ASX 200 is still down around 10% for the financial year, but it's actually closer to being around 15% from the actual highs that it was right before COVID-19 struck. The S&P 500 in the US, that's the index that tracks the top 500 US companies. That is down around 4% for this financial year and closer to 8% for the, uh, from the highs that it was before the pandemic. So every index is down except for one, except for one, of course, that is the NASDAQ. Yes, the tech index. I actually own a NASDAQ 100 ETF, so which is effectively a fund that tracks the index NDQ if you wanted to look it up. And much like the index itself, it is very much shaken off the pandemic, kind of like no other in the world. The NASDAQ 100 index is up almost 16.5% for this financial year. And yes, it is. It's had its day just like every other market in February and March. It obviously did have a low, but its recovery has been quite insane. And here's the thing though, the recovery is mostly the big boys, right? It's mostly the stocks like an Amazon and Microsoft. And then you've got some of the, I say smaller, but smaller compared to an Amazon, but you've got other ones like Nvidia and PayPal. These are all companies that are sort of the driving force behind the NASDAQ performance and behind that index performance. But let's return home in terms of financial year analysis and look at the ASX. I picked out a, a few interesting notes regarding market performance. Maybe performance isn't the right word, maybe decline is the right word. Depends on what you're holding, but I guess also looking at sort of market sentiment and market activity, and I wanna share some of those to close out the episode for this week. There was some interesting articles floating around that sort of you know, analyzed the financial year or talked about some of the sort of highs and lows of the financial year. I picked out one, there's one from the AFR which had an interview with the ASX Deputy Chief Exec Peter Hyom. It's quoted that if you, well, he's quoted in the article that if you rank the top four trading months, and when I say top four trading months, I sort of mean in terms of market activities, you know, back and forth buying and selling, so trading. The top four trading months in the history of the entire ASX, the top four would include February, March, April, May of 2020. So just unprecedented levels of trading in this year alone that they have never seen before. You know, the ASX went from a previous record of about 3.5 million trades in a single day to a record of closer to 7 million trades in a day. And that statistic probably talks to some of, I guess, what I was talking about maybe a little bit closer to the top of the show, which is you've also seen a lot of newer investors and younger investors jumping in. I think there's also the whole where else are you going to put your money thing playing in there because uh, interest rates are so low, you know, you're not exactly getting a return from a bank account these days. And that's kind of helped, I wouldn't say prop up, but also helped people stay in the market or at least increase their position in the market when you saw those lows in uh, across March. Anyway, in, a, in the same article, they also quoted a Richard Coppelson of Bell Potter noting that the first time ever the ASX is actually closing out this financial year with neither a bank or a mining company as the biggest company on the market. It's actually, so usually it's, it's something like a CBA, a Westpac, a BHP, a Rio Tinto that is kind of number one in terms of market valuation. This financial year, the medical company or healthcare stock CSL 
which stands for Commonwealth Serial Laboratories, closed the financial year on top. It actually edged CBA by about $8 billion in valuation. So CSL at the top for the end of the financial year there. Who can forget the headline favorite, the, the one that the articles and the media tend to favor the most, which is our buy now, pay later, darling Afterpay. Remember that at the bottom of the market during COVID, that Afterpay shares hit a you know a low of around it was something around eight dollars ish, uh, maybe maybe high sevens, but it was somewhere around there. Uh, they are actually up you know around six hundred and fifty percent from that point. It's absolutely staggering. Just the I was about to say recovery. It's not just a recovery, but just the absolute surge in the price for Afterpay shares since that time. And I think where I'll end this is by saying, if this isn't for you, and when I say this, I just mean that sort of market back and forth and the ups and downs, and that's okay. But I mean, depending on how you feel about it, it sort of might mean that you might want to take a different approach to investing where you sort of want to focus on blocking out that noise. You know, one approach I remember talking to an advisor about was um, not checking your portfolio all the time. So instead of being someone that looks at the way their shares have moved every single day, maybe you just check in like twice a year, right? So if you're comfortable with what you're invested in, uh, in terms of this is a long-term approach, of course. So if you're comfortable with what you're invested in over the next few years, you know, maybe maybe you should try and have some willpower to actually check that maybe just twice a year as opposed to twice a day, for example, and not get too caught up in the uh, day-to-day fluctuations of that company. You know, another approach which I could probably do a bit more of a detailed rundown in a future episode is dollar cost averaging. I I actually like this approach. I think it kind of reminds me of how your super works in the way that you're sort of putting a little bit in every time across, you know, across, say, a fortnightly or monthly period. But it's a way to kind of just invest and ignore the kind of noise that that, that noise might make you want to panic sell or FOMO buy some shares. But dollar cost averaging is sort of more a disciplined approach to investing in that sense. And now we await to see how this financial year sort of plays out for us on the market. We are somewhat, I think we are somewhat beholden still to how COVID continues to play out. And remember, this is a rather big year ahead of us still. Sort of one of the biggest things, I guess, in terms of Political news is we have the US election playing out in November and that is continuing still at a backdrop of a massive surge in COVID cases there. But I don't know, we wait and see how how COVID continues to affect our economy here in Australia, how it continues to affect business and trade. And I think that is really where people are watching and that sort of unknown is still going to be playing on our markets, especially over the next six months. Well, let's wrap it up for the week. Thank you very much for tuning into the Market Pulse podcast. As I always like to say, please shoot your questions to me. You can do that at marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like me to discuss or maybe something you want me to go into a bit more depth in, by all means, shoot that through. Have a lovely rest of your weekend or week whenever you are listening to this. My name is Dion Gribben. Cheers. Cheers.